Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Insert additional generic joke about still being in isolation here. No, that's right. We're okay. We're okay, right? Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, everything is awesome. Oh, here in quarantine. Okay, so um, we did a top five list the other day, which was great. It was like a blast from the past. Uh, we're going to try to reproduce something like that again, uh, because if you may also remember, we used to be kind of a kind of a newsy show. Yeah, I mean, it was every two weeks, but we tried to get the best stuff from those two weeks and throw them together at the beginning of our podcast. And now that we're doing it weekly, every once in a while, we're just going to do a whole episode that's just news. That's the plan, anyway. Plus, with isolation, you know, a lot of the news is, uh, you know, there's not a lot of stuff is in production right now, but given a little bit of time, there are some things that caught our eye. And, uh, you know, who better to hear it from than us, your, your ambassadors to geekdom? So, for the first while in a little while, here is the top five things making the news in the world of geekdom. Number five on our list, uh, in the middle of April, saw the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake for PlayStation 4. Uh, came out on April 10th, remaking the 1997 PlayStation game Final Fantasy VII. Okay, I'm going to um, I'm gonna fi- pause you here, because I was not a big Final Fantasy VII fan. I'm not, I'm not a big Final Fantasy fan in general, but I didn't have a PlayStation when the original came out, so I never played the game. I don't have the strong nostalgic feelings for it that a lot of people in our generation do. So when I saw it coming out, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat, but I didn't really follow it. I come to learn now... It's called the Final Fantasy VII Remake, but my understanding is it only remakes the first 10 to 15% of the game? Wow, so I'll just reorganize all my notes in the order that I wanted to read all this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to uh, insert myself here. You're not here. sorry in the least, but that's okay. Listen, lots of people like you never played Final Fantasy VII because it came out in 1997, it came out on PlayStation 1, that wasn't, uh, video games weren't quite cool back then. What do you mean, people uh, like me? You know exactly what I mean. <laughs> People had an N64? <laughs> so, let me let me try this here, will ya? <laughs> so, so, Final Fantasy VII uh, is considered one of the most influential video games of all time. It is the one of the first video games that was made at a blockbuster scale. Uh, it cost somewhere between 100 and 140 million dollars to make at the time, which would be about 230 million dollars today. Um, it's you know, it, it was the fir- it was the first game that really tried to take things up a level from sort of super you know where your emotional investment in a lot of these games was shoot the bad guys. This game got a lot of recognition for story and characters and developing this really interesting sort of neo cyberpunk world. It's a big deal in video games, and people have wanted it to be remade forever. And they finally went and did it. Same company, same staff, even. Can, um, can but, I inter- like, interrupt once again? I mean, you haven't asked permission before. Why start now? <laughs> are, are video game remakes... We, it doesn't feel like that happens very often. Like, a game is remade from scratch. Like, sometimes thing, graphics get a little boosted. They'll re-release games, things like that. But this... It, I, in my research, they've been talking about remaking this game from scratch since the early 2000s. Is that normal? 
It is not normal. This game is a big deal. It means a lot to a lot of people. And it's always they've always been kind of trying to tap into that cash cow. They, there's, there's sort of a shared universe around Final Fantasy VII. It has a full feature-length movie that had a limited release in theaters. It's had several spin-off games, both for playing on console and then, like, mobile titles. Uh, both, like, cell phone and PSP. This one is a big deal. Man, it's so hard to keep following all these segues to answer all your questions in a manner that's informative to the audience. Uh, In terms of how it's different from other remakes, um, a lot of times when you hear about video games being re-released for later consoles or things that are more available, they usually use the term remaster, uh, which essentially means that we released this game 15 years ago and it was at the resolution was at 640 by 480. Yeah, you, know, you remember really old computers? Well, now we're up-resing the textures so it looks better. And you can play it on the console you have, because you probably don't have your original classic Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever it is out there. This project is different. This is essentially a whole new game. As if it were developed... As if. It was developed today, but with today's... Sort of what makes sense in a game today, but using the same characters and story and sort of general feel of the classic Final Fantasy VII. Kind of. Which takes us back to where we were with your first question, how it's not even the whole game. The thing with Final Fantasy VII is back in 1997... Yes, it was a huge difference in terms of even in terms of soundtrack alone. Um, Aerith's theme, which is now usually referred to as "Flower Blooming in the Slums," uh, is a soundtrack, a song on the soundtrack that made it into the Classic FM Hall of Fame. Like it's it's that big a deal. What's but what's it was Classic FM. Oh, like a classical music or yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. In any case, they so. Like, great music, great story, great jazz, but very limited by the technology at the time, right? The music was played on a synthesizer off of a microchip. It wasn't really recorded by live people. The story is very cool, but it's presented in dialogue, like, written on the screen that, you know, had to, could only, you had to tailor sentences to only be a certain amount of words long to fit inside the little word box. You know, the characters, sure, they... They talked about having emotions, but you can't really display depth on the face of a person that's made up of seven triangles. So what this game does is that they took a look at it and they said, well, we can't do like the, it word for word because no one will accept that anymore. Because the conversations between people, hey, look, this is bad. Yes, it is. I am upset about it. That doesn't fly anymore, right? We've seen video games like The Last of Us or the new God of War. It's it's much more common these days that video games tell a compelling emotional story. And there wasn't room for that back then. So what they've done is this game, it's, in a way, it's kind of a Hobbit effect. And it does it well sometimes and not well others. Where they take what's about, well, maybe the first ten hours of the game being generous, maybe closer to six or seven hours... And they expand the story, and they go in-depth. You know, conversations that used to be three alternating lines are now five minutes of dialogue, where characters are talking to each other, and you hear how their, you know, their voices affect off of each other. There's a scene fairly early on where the, the protagonist, if you've heard the name Cloud Strife, this is where he comes from, big blonde guy, way too big sword. He's sitting at Tifa's bar, and she makes him a fancy cocktail. And he holds it up, and he takes a sip, and he says, beautiful. But of course, he's not looking at the drink when he says beautiful. He's looking at Tifa. 
And she sort of blushes, and there's that pregnant pause, and then she says, Okay, well, enjoy, and you can just hear the smile on the voice actress's face. That didn't happen in the original game. You didn't get any of that nuance. So what this game does is it adds all that nuance, but because of that, everything takes a lot longer. So this took about four, this is taking people about 40 hours to play through, 4-0. And it covers roughly the same events of the first 10 hours of the original game, but it goes into it more in depth. Okay. And makes it more, you know, more of an active place to live in. So check in my notes. Did I, did I hit everything you wanted to hit there? <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. I, it was uh, beautifully told. Um, I, yeah, it, I don't know. Look, I wasn't following the, the, the game closely, but I never got that impression when I was seeing the ads for it and everything. Like, I... I how clear was that in the, the, the lead-up to the release of the game? It was very heavily publicized, but it doesn't say anything on the box or anything. Okay. It just says Final Fantasy VII Remake. And there are reasons for that. Unfortunately, it's getting into spoiler territory. And these are spoilers of the sort that, like, if you're, if you're not a big fan of the game, it doesn't mean anything to you. And if you are a big fan of the game... It really behooves you to experience this for yourself, because they do do some things different. And particularly how this wraps up, very controversial ending. And I would urge you not to spoil it for yourselves if you're interested. And we'll have to leave it at that. Um, well, going I mean, over this, couldn't, oh. couldn't they have named it Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1? Like, what, what would have, the harm have been in that? It's, again, spoiler. Really? Really? That would be a spoiler? Really? Ah, And even me. that, you might be able to piece it together in your head. In any case, we're going to have to move on, because um, we've been talking about this for a while now. But <laughs> suffice to say, it's absolutely, on its own, it's a great game. It's worth playing. It's a ton of fun. The old turn-based battle system from the old classic game is still alluded to, but it's been replaced with a new, much more up-to-date live combat there's a lot of fun things to do with all the different characters. Everyone plays a little bit differently. It gives you a lot of different options strategically. It's a blast. In terms of the Hobbit effect of developing things, in some cases they do it really well, where they add depth to the world and they add character. In some cases they do it less well, where there's a lot of meaningless side quests. You know, you definitely get asked like, by a little girl to find her cats at one point. Ah. You're just rolling your eyes like, oh god, this... Does it, it just uh, feel like, some of it just feels like padding? Some of it absolutely feels like padding. And in weird places, um, right before the climax of this game, um, fans of the original may remember uh, when you when you're break into the Shinra building to rescue Aerith and the events, that, that everything that happens right there. It's a very climactic moment in the plot, and they add essentially a whole new stage that wasn't there before and for absolutely no reason whatsoever and it's incredibly frustrating because the dramatic tension has built to such a point that you have to find out what happens but no you have to spend the next 45 minutes running around this new area and it's brutal hmm. on the other hand they do so much more stuff that you love they've added like just a lot of these side quests they actually do really well and it helps you explore the areas of the world you get to know the undercity a lot better you get to know a lot of people a lot better it's the avalanche b crew from the original game for those of you who remember biggs and wedge and jesse they all become full-fledged characters and it's amazing so it's a little bit of everything 
Um, I cleared the main story in a little under 40 hours, and I just platinumed it. Um, you know, I got everything there absolutely was to do in the game, and my save file shows about 83 hours of gameplay. Whoa. Um, yeah, so if you're a fan of FF7, yeah, you want to play this remake. It's a big deal. If you like video games, it's a really good video game. Get it on the PlayStation 4. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, and suffice to say, I had a great time, and I would love to do like a spoiler cast about it. We're usually not shy about spoilers on here, but this one's a big deal. So give it a shot. All right, so let's jump ahead to number four on our list, and this is actually, uh, at the time of recording, breaking news. There's going to be... The only way I can say it is yet another new Star Trek series, but that kind of sounds dismissive. This one is one that I'm I'm actually kind of excited for. I, you know, between it's, the... I mean, yeah, it, it, I go back and forth, right? I've been ba- I've been ping ponging on it all day. Okay, so let's just uh, let's not bury the lead. Uh, the I think arguably the best part of season two of Discovery, and and honestly, maybe the best part of Discovery in general has was the introduction. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You could say that. That's fair. Okay, the introduction of Captain Pike, who was the the original captain of the Enterprise from the original pilot, the the Cage, and other than. Uh, a one voiceless appearance in uh, the only original series two-parter and uh, an appearance in the first two of the J.J. Abrams movies. He hasn't had much screen time. That changed with this last season of Discovery, and he stole the show. He was very charming and very sweet and, and really brought a breath of fresh air to Discovery and, and made a feeling of hope that is integral to Star Trek, but was kind of missing from most of the first season of Discovery. So, there, people, since he was introduced, people have been clamoring for a series about him and his crew on the Enterprise, and they just announced today that that's going to happen. Ethan Peck is back as Spock, Rebecca Romaine will be number one, and Anson Mount is returning as Captain Pike. Yeah, so this is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's the the classic journeys of the classic Enterprise with its classic captain and crew, um, all of whom were portrayed so well in Star Trek Discovery Season 2. Um, and I can't wait to see it. However, I've got the, I've got the uneasies. <laughs> um, uh, one of the main complaints about Discovery is that it's a prequel. And by making it a prequel, they sort of locked it in to a world and a series of events that had rules and timelines and things that we already knew and understood, and then immediately broke them all, just infuriating the fans. And that message was clearly received, because Star Trek Discovery is no longer a prequel. They Spoilers for Season 2 of the show, which came out two years ago, but the Season 2 of the show ended where they extremely literally propelled the ship into the future so that it was no longer being held back by being a prequel. Well, and now I, they've announced a, a new prequel series. I'm... Uh, I would be... I don't know. I feel like I'd be surprised if the rest of Discovery ends up being in the future. I have a feeling this is going to be sort of a one season or maybe even half a season arc, and then they'll be back in the past. I'm not positive about that. I mean, it would be one way to get rid of all the questions of, like, why doesn't Spock talk about Burnham, and, and why have we never heard of this ship before if it seems so important? But... I, I just have a feeling that they're going to be back in the past before the the season's out. 
Which doesn't solve any of the problems. No, but I... constant, like, uh, how is there a Gorn skeleton in his menagerie? They haven't met the Gorn yet. Like, just... <laughs> right, right. You know? But obviously they don't... Uh, you know, they don't seem to care that much about keeping the continuity strict. And it really, really bugged me in season one. And I I guess I'm just slowly starting to get used to it and being able to, to brush it off. I don't like it, but if that's what I have to live with for new Star Trek. Maybe I'm willing to live with it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, I just it, don't get the sense that they care to solve those problems. It, does, it hasn't been a problem for them up to now, so the idea of them going to the distant future and then coming back and having it have no consequences on what we've seen before, or I just don't think that is an issue for them, for better or worse. Yeah. Now, so, to be fair, that's all speculation and not really the news we're talking about. Very true. Um... But with regards to this, so Star Trek Strange New Worlds is still going to be a prequel, it's, but I guess it's going to be a sequel to Discovery and a prequel to Classic Trek. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I think it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a time period that hasn't been covered very much. We don't know much about Pike's adventures outside of, I'm sure, it's all being covered to death in the novels. But it'll be interesting to see crew members that we've seen in the cage and, and get to know them a bit better, assuming they, they bring people in to play those cast members uh, you know they were they were all very charming on and uh discovery and i'm i'm very excited to see what they do i i would really like it if they return to a more episodic feel and get back into telling make it a little sort of like an anthology series make it like black mirror or any of the other many sci-fi anthology series that have spawned th- through that the new twilight zone and and all these other things so that would be a nice change of pace from the other things. It would set it apart from the current crop of Trek, which is all very serialized, and it's been a bit of a mixed bag. At least... Yeah, the last few Star Treks have been more action thrillers than sci-fis. Yeah, and it would be... You know, there have, were large stretches of both Picard and Discovery where we weren't really loving it, and we weren't enjoying the story. If you go to a more episodic thing, then it's like, well, I didn't like this episode... But next episode is going to be a whole other story, and I'm going to sit here and and I'm I'm ready for it. I'm not going to dread it. I'm like I'm excited to see where they go next. And if it's strange new worlds, maybe that's what it'll be. It'll go back to a show about exploration. I'm okay with that. I, I would actually really like that. I'm sure that's not what's going to happen, but it would be really nice. <laughs> okay, well, so uh, we so we've got Graham's wish list here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, in reality, we know what sells, and uh, you know the like the episodes with Pike were definitely were definitely not episodic. That whole season was one long arc. I mean, and also other things to note: it's so with you know with Spock back as a main character, he's now going to be challenging Worf for the most appearances in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so that's because he you know Spock has been in the original series, the original movies. He's been in Next Generation. He's been in. The JJ universe, and he's been in Discovery, and he's been in—I oh, think that covers everything. But it's a lot the of animated Spock. series. Oh, there you go, animated series. <laughs> I was trying to think if he shows up in um, in Enterprise for any reason, but I don't think I so. I don't think so. Yeah, another prequel show, um, which also got a lot of complaints about the fact that they were a prequel and didn't seem to be you know, following anything that had to do with you know, following any logical continuity. But hey, let's just keep doing Star Trek prequels. I just, I would like to see what happens in the future of Star Trek. And it's the, the little hints that we got from that in Picard 
Like, I just, I want to see what, where, that, where that world grows. I don't want to see where it's been. But on the other hand, I really want to see more Captain Pike. So, I don't know, maybe they can throw him into the future? <laughs> That's what would make me happy. And I mean, if they're not caring about continuity, they, they definitely could do that. Uh, and I think what we were saying from the get-go in our previous episodes about Discovery is that the going to the future, especially when it's when the shows are so disconnected from what came before, it's a great way to, to hold on to that legacy but explore strange new worlds. It's like the, the Next Generation crew was 100 years after the original series crew, and so they could... They weren't beholden as much to what came before. And, right. But now when you said it in the past, you're very much beholden because it has to make sense to what, what comes next. Or at least you would think you'd have to do that. They are proving it's, on a season-by-season season basis that they don't have to do that. Yeah, but they can I do whatever the heck they want. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's something that we have to live with. But don't all big franchises run into that eventually. Anyway, Strange New Worlds, we don't know much about it yet, but it's got the actors that you love, and it's going to be set in that cool new Enterprise that we were talking about. So good news, and keeping an eye out for that. Um, They are obviously not in production at the moment. Yeah, even the announcement video was done over, like, a Zoom meeting. Yeah, the world we live in. But hopefully once things pick up again, any day now, that uh, we'll get right back to it. Number three. Number three on the list uh, have we talked about Sandman on this show before? I'm sure it's come up, but I don't think anyone would be upset if we gave a little refresher. Yeah. So the Sandman uh, series of comic books written by Neil Gaiman, uh, published by DC Comics. This ran from uh, 89 to 96. Um, probably one of the things Neil Gaiman is best known for. I mean, certainly like what broke him out. Yeah, I think, I think it's, that's fair to say, right? It made him a star, and it, it also almost single-handedly created the Vertigo line of books for DC, which were more mature comic books that weren't tied to any sort of DC continuity and could be at least partly creator-owned. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to start off that there were some hints that it tied into superheroes, but eventually Neil Gaiman just went nuts and made, well, I don't mean that's pejoratively. I mean, he just like let all the shackles off and created this amazing new world of his own. This is one of the few graphic novels that's been like a New York Times bestseller. It was a big deal. There's an early issue uh, called A Midsummer Night's Dream, and it won some World Fantasy Award, and I believe it was the first comic book to win it and, and may still be the only comic book to win it. If you haven't read it, it's awesome. Go check it out. Why are we talking about it, though? Because it was announced that Audible is going to be adapting the comic book series into an audio drama, into, I guess, sort of a... What would, what would, you, would you call that a podcast today? Ha. Huh. That is a tough call. I, I guess so. I It's almost more like an audiobook, except it's a full cast audiobook, and it's adapting a comic book, so... The art is so integral, you know, with, with a, a traditional audiobook, you just read the novel. But in this case, you have to describe some stuff that's going on the pages because just reading the words isn't going to cut it. So I guess it's somewhere between an audio drama and an audio book. And in this day and age, that equals a podcast, I guess. <laughs> it sounds like it, right? <laughs> Uh, in any case, so yeah, they're going to be doing a whole audio drama about it. They've, it is star-studded cast. Uh, we've got James McAvoy as Dream, as Morpheus, as the star, as the eponymous Sandman. 
Um, what else have I got here? I've got Cat Dennings is death. Uh, the Cat Dennings who we discussed with great admiration during our big Marvel roundup as uh, Natalie Portman's you know, funnier partner character. Uh, Taron Egerton is Constantine, uh, who you may remember from a Keanu Reeves movie and a TV uh, my- short-lived TV show, and now he's on uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Hey, good for him. Uh, Michael Sheen as Lucifer, which, for those of you quirking it, yes, it's that Lucifer. It's the same character who originated the what's now the Lucifer show on Netflix. Yeah, he that was. I mean, the, this comic book for for a mature reader, sort of out there comic book, it spun off Lucifer, which became its own thing, its own long uh, long running creator own. Well, maybe not creator own, but anyway, its own long running character uh, comic book and and. He's had a whole life of his own completely outside of the Sandman comics, and now he's got his own serialized TV show. Uh, we could keep going, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fancy people doing a lot of fancy stuff, and it's set to debut in July. Uh, well, the first episode of it, I'm sure. And, man, that's a blast. Looking forward to, to hearing it. Um, for those who haven't read it, Graham, could, is there, I mean, you're the master is there a way for you to sort of summarize and describe what that world is like and what those comics are about? Uh, in a few words, no. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the simplest terms is it's, it's about seven siblings who are beyond gods. They, they exist outside the realm of, of, of humanity they are concepts they're dream death desire delirium destruction destiny they're all these concepts that all exist beyond i don't even know i don't even know how to describe it anyway they're they're personifications of these elements of reality yeah so the series follows one of those siblings, Dream, and he, when the series starts, he's being held captive by this magician or whatever for, for many, many years. And so when he breaks free of that and comes back to his, his territory, everything's in disarray. So that's where it starts, with him trying to fix his realm. And his realm being the realm of, like, stories and dreams and fantasy and him being like the living incarnation of that and how those come to be and how they work. Yeah, and the series I don't think Neil Gaiman necessarily started out with a whole blueprint of how it was going to go. It's kind of dreamlike. There are there are story arcs. There's, you know, six or seven issues that are very heavily story focused and then there'll be a couple of issues that don't seem to have anything to do with anything. But by the end of the series, you've gone on this long quest following this dream character and learning about his family and you get to see all these different stages of his existence and it's a great tight 75 issue run and it's it works on its own. Since then there've been spin-offs and sort of additional stories that he's told and we're in some sort of like Sandman renaissance because DC in the last year or two relaunched a whole line of Sandman comics that Neil Gaiman is overseeing but it's mostly written by other people. But it's his own little tight pocket of the DC universe and and he gets to do whatever he wants with those characters. It's it's interesting. It's and this this audio drama is just another sign of how popular that series is. That they can keep going back to that well and retelling that story and finding interesting ways to cover those seventy five issues. And this what's being released in July is just covering the first 
maybe 15 issues of that run. So we've got a lot of story to cover as the years go on and they keep going through this project. Yeah, it's worth noting that this, uh, I think it was announced in March, and they must have started it earlier, but it's damn convenient to be working on an audio project during, you know, COVID corona, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's, it just, all everybody needs is a microphone and some baffling, and they can, I mean, they can get a project done. If anyone is going to be happy about this, uh, the, the world we live in right now with the coronavirus, it's probably audio makers because it's a lot easier to get people's attention if you're if people are looking for new content audio is real easy to produce and real easy to get into people's hands right now it, it, it is a match made in heaven <laughs> uh in any case sandman it's super cool on the off i mean this is there's a strong chance you haven't read it on the off chance you can find it it's worth a read but if not this audio drama promises to be a great new way to experience it honestly i I'm, feel i'm very excited to to listen to it because I, I as much as I love the comics, I've gone back to read them a few times and they're they're so dense and there's so much in there. I oftentimes find myself getting sort of like overwhelmed by it and the, just the idea of being able to sit back and listen to it, it be read to me by Neil Gaiman and this huge cast of of actors, that is really appealing to me. Absolutely. I mean, I was going to say I feel like I'm probably going to miss the art a little. But the fact of the matter is, like, I have the Sandman stuff, yeah. so if ever I'm missing it, I can go take a look. But I just, I mean, because I've already seen the comics, I know that's what it's going to look like in my head. But I wonder what it's going to look like to somebody hearing it for the first time, picturing that crazy world. It promises to be a really interesting project. I strongly recommend that you, you keep your ears out for it and give it a listen once it's available. Okay, so what's number two, Jess? Number two on our list uh, is, we talked about May 4th, Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, saw Rise of Skywalker come out, uh, but it also saw the airing of the series finale of Star Wars Clone Wars, so their final season, season seven. Yeah, and it only took uh, six years for them to, to get from season six to season seven. Yeah, right, it's an interesting story. Um, So Star Wars Clone Wars is an animated series that was created and essentially funded entirely by George Lucas. Um, It takes place after Episode 2 and before Episode 3, so it's it's sort of an Anakin and Obi-Wan kind of thing, and it deals with the Clone Wars, with the droids versus the clones, and Jedis everywhere. Um, it, It began with a literal theatrical feature film release back in August of 2008, and then Cartoon Network started airing it forever. They did six seasons and then sort of wrapped it up and moved on to other things. Um, The big name behind it is this guy Dave Filoni, who's one of the sort of Star Wars gurus right now. And he's He's becoming an even bigger deal in Hollywood. Like, he he is a director and writer on The Mandalorian, which we may talk about shortly, but, like, everyone's talking about The Mandalorian. It it was the main draw for Disney+, and he's one of the big brains behind it. So I feel like his star is just in ascension. Yeah, um, but yeah, so he um, he moved on from Clone Wars and he did Star Wars Rebels uh, for four seasons, which is sort of the same kind of cartoon, but picking up in more of like the Luke Skywalker era with the Empire. 
Um, he was involved with Star Wars Resistance, um, but there's always been this big fan drive for Clone Wars. People love this show. And they do some interesting things with it. It starts off very like, episodic and honestly aged down a little bit. Uh, but by the end of the series, it turned into a real character drama. And they go, they, you know, things, things become less episodic and become more arced. And they introduce a lot of new beloved characters. Um, the big takeaway, uh, obviously, for Star Wars fans is this is where Ahsoka Tano comes from. Who, if you've seen, if you're not a huge Star Wars fan, but you've seen a lot of people talking about this girl who has an orange face and these sort of white and blue like head tails, that's her, and she's become a major Star Wars character across comic books and television series, and is a major icon of sort of Jedi girl power. If if I'm not mistaken, in Rise of Skywalker, when when Rey is feeling the power of all the Jedi course through her, Ahsoka Tano is one of the voices she hears, right? She, she is she is one of the voices the and the original voice actor Ashley Eckstein did that bit uh, so which is a huge bone to throw to obsessive Star Wars fans after those six seasons and all that fan demand they finally brought it back for one more season to wrap everything up uh, back in uh, when was that that was in February this year and it was phenomenal the last arc of this show overlaps with Revenge of the Sith and Order 66 and tells the story from the perspective of other characters, you know, who aren't Skywalkers or Kenobis. And a lot of it revolved around Ahsoka and around some of the clone commanders who have now, like, developed their own personalities. They have the revived Maul that we eventually see in Rebels and in, um, what was it, in the solo movie, like starts here, and he has a major role towards the end of this. And and I think that's uh, one of the great triumphs of this, at least in from my perspective, is taking the coolness that was inherent in Darth Maul when we first saw him in the trailers for the Phantom Menace with the double sided lightsaber and everything, and then you see the movie and he's kind of boring and lifeless. But these cartoons yeah. <laughs> really made him a character worth liking. And and it's a different voice actor doing his voice in this series, but man, he's so good from what I've seen. Yeah. He's yeah, Sam Whitwer like uh Sam Whitner has done Maul's like you know, his voice and his presentation for everything except the appearance in Phantom Menace. And he's added so much to the character. You know, besides just dialogue. Because, <laughs> man, they do this thing in Star Wars where they have cool villains who look cool, but they don't do much or say anything. Like, they're they're very much toy commercials. I can accept that. Like, we have to admit that. But, no, they took Maul and made him awesome. But, anyway, this was remarkable. I mean, for one thing, because it gave people a reason to still be subscribed to Disney+, Plus now that The Mandalorian is over. <laughs> Um, but also, I just it was like really deep emotional storytelling for something that you, you normally might target a little bit lower, and it, just, it developed its own part of the world of Star Wars that's overlapped with so much stuff that like you know people talk about Maul and Ahsoka and Rex, like in a way they have a lot more screen time than Obi Wan Kenobi or Anakin Skywalker. Like we've spent a lot more time with them and getting to know them, and the fact that it's done so well. In a way, they're sort of bigger than the movies. And I put it that way because that sort of segues nicely into our number one. Oh, yeah. Maybe a little bit of a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, our, our two and one are pretty tied. Yeah. So let's just get, let's, let's stop burying the lead. We have gotten a bunch of casting news about season two of The Mandalorian. And guess what? 
it's a lot of the characters from Star Wars Clone Wars. <laughs> the first bit of news was that Tamara Morrison is coming back, who's the guy who played Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones and then all the clones yeah, in so that one. For better or worse, you know, the, the clones don't necessarily have the best... If you're only familiar with them from the movies, I don't know, you may not have the best feelings toward them because that whole thing was... I don't know. The prequels are rough. And everything associated primarily with the prequels, to me, are a little tainted. So, but, <laughs> you know, I'm still curious to see how this plays out. So when we heard that he was coming back, everyone just sort of, and I've checked, they never said, they never specified who he was playing. But because, you know, famous bounty hunter and fantastic action figure Boba Fett is a clone of Jango Fett, and famous for his Mandalorian armor. Of course, that was the obvious conclusion to pick. Of course, he'd be back. Boba Fett was going to be in Mandalorian Season 2. That was the news for, like, two or three days. But around the same time, they also announced that it's Rosario Dawson, I think, was going to be playing Ahsoka Tano in Mandalorian Season 2. So now you start to think, like, okay, well, that's fine. They can bring back, like, this, like, it's like a guest character. It's like a thing to connect to that. You know, that's, that's fine. Then they announced they're bringing another Clone Wars character in. And this one played by Katie Starbuck Sackoff. Am I pronouncing that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Katie Sackoff Starbuck yep. uh, is who she played in, uh, in Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. Um, she plays a Bo-Katan, a, a Mandalorian sort of super badass in the Clone Wars. She's going to be showing up in the Mandalorian Season 2 also. So we're going to have all these Clone Wars characters, and now we're thinking, well, wait, if, and if the clone guy is coming back, isn't it pretty strong odds he's also going to be playing one of the cool clone characters rather than Boba Fett? Maybe. The, the clone character Rex featured very heavily in that last season of the Clone Wars. Um... And he was a pretty prominent character in Rebels. And he carried into Rebels. And he's, you know, fist-bumping buddies with Ahsoka Tano. So it seems like all this is adding up that Mandalorian Season 2 is sort of going to be a Clone Wars reunion. Which is awesome if you're in love with those characters. But I also kind of feel like that's... It, it kind of feels like you're mixing pe peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, I love... That sounds great! I love peanut butter and chocolate, but I mean, like, even with Rebels, I'm... It, it's weird. Most of the internet agrees, like, they like Clone Wars better than Rebels. I feel the other way around. I think Rebels is the stronger series. But the parts of Rebels I liked the least are the parts where Dave Filoni brought back all his Clone Wars stuff and mm -hmm. sort of made it the Clone Wars 2. So now, like, we've been introduced to The Mandalorian, and it has this cool new world and these cool new characters and a whole new side of this universe. And then um, there's a little bit of concern. Like, is it still going to be The Mandalorian Season 2? Or is it going to be The Clone Wars Season 8.5 featuring Baby Yoda and The Mandalorian? Now, the other thing, uh, just for our, our less uh, connected Star Wars, or listeners, especially less connected to the Star Wars universe, Order 66 is the thing at the end of Revenge of the Sith that the Emperor gives that leads to all the clones killing all the Jedis. But it feels, as time goes on, more and more Jedis survived that order. Is, is bringing Ahsoka Tano into this like distant future from from the end of uh clone wars and rebels is that 
I don't know. I mean, it's not how much of it's not news. Like we've always known she survived. Like, we always knew she. We have. Her. Yeah, I mean, she's in Rebels. Like that takes place after Order sixty six. Yeah, that was years okay. ago. And she's had so, her own like novels and comics about what happens to her afterward. It yeah no the lines if you go back to the Star Wars movies where then you know like Luke is the last Jedi nah he ain't these people are all <laughs> over the place we've had to accept that. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, I guess the other thing that I would say may put a... Well, first of all, the idea of it being either Boba or Rex is... Or both? Uh, yeah, yeah. As the meme says, why not both? Uh, it, if, since it could be the same guy playing both of them, he just needs to grow a beard for one of them. I, I, I'm down for that. And the other thing in... in uh, I think it's episode five of The Mandalorian. There's a tease for Boba Fett. Like, I kept expecting him to show up by the end of the series, but there's a, a brief glimpse of a foot and a familiar sound effect that uh, led you to believe Boba Fett was alive and well, despite what happens to him in Return of the Jedi. So, I don't know. It could be both. I have also read uh, a lot of news sites picked up something that only seems to have one unconfirmed source that Boba Fett will be in season two, but will have a much bigger role in season three. So I take that as you will. Uh, we're not going to know for sure. I, I know I think it's still being written, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Lucasfilm is famous lately for not really confirming anything uh, because they want this kind of stuff to be a surprise, right? This is like, right. They managed to keep baby Yoda as a surprise and it took over the internet for a good three or four weeks. Um, so we want they're going to find out what they want to do with it. I'm just, I'm a little on the fence because I do love all these characters and I do think it'd be great to see them, but I was really excited for Mandalorian being its own thing. So do you think that if it does become a new generation, like Clone Wars The Next Generation, do you think you'll look back on that reveal of the Darksaber from the end of the last episode as a sign, uh, like a portent of dark times ahead? Not necessarily important, but I mean that could be exactly what it's you know what it's foreshadowing, right? The dark saber comes from those cartoons. They, yeah, those of us Star Wars super geeks, when we saw it, we lost our minds because it comes from the cartoons and it's really tied into Mandalore. So having it built into the series, we can see the connection to a larger world. But I don't know, it, like that's that was sort of the same thing like we were talking about. You know, as much as we love to see Captain Pike. It sort of felt like pandering when they brought the Enterprise in because we were supposed to be watching this show about Discovery, right? We were supposed to be watching a new ship and it was supposed to be about them. When the Enterprise showed up, as great as it was to see it, it was kind of like, oh, okay, so it, it's just more Star Trek that I already have. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it, kind of, it kind of takes all of the gravitas or all, all of your attention away from the new stuff. And you're like, well, that, that doesn't matter. This is the Enterprise. This is Captain Pike. This is stuff we know. Obviously, this is going to be the important thing. So we'll forget all about Saru and, and the, the other new characters. Yeah, who you literally have forgotten yeah. about. Yeah, uh, Tilly? Yeah, uh, Tilly, um, Joan <laughs> Oesekin, uh, Arium... Uh, you only know all this because you've been researching for a future episode. I, that's that's very true. Yeah, <laughs> I, a lot of the, a lot of discovery for me was you know the girl at the con with the robot thing. That girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, we all remembered Spock and Pike. I don't. I just worry that it's going to be the same thing. And if it is, if it is that, if it just becomes more of the same, that's fine. I like those characters too. It just feels like it, it would be taking something unique and special and maybe kind of dumbing it down a little and I'm just on the fence about it and I think a lot of people sort of feel the same way it also 
could be seen as a way of Dave Filoni further establishing himself as like the modern day George Lucas, the modern guy who has had the most influence on Star Wars. You oh, know? easily. You could, yeah, there's there's yeah. all kinds of memes about you know like like the Sith Lord and his apprentice. Yeah, <laughs> Filoni is definitely the apprentice. The other thing, a uh, bit of news that came out was some of the directors. The, the first season had a, an interesting group of directors. Probably the most notable are, uh, off the top of my head are John Favreau and um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard directed some episodes. And they've already announced at least two of the directors for the new season of Mandalorian. Robert Rodriguez, who is best known for directing Sin City and Desperado and and the Spy Kids movies. He's a bit of a cool <laughs> I think that last one's a little different from the... You know. For for a certain generation, for people younger than us, I think that would be the thing that, that gets their attention. But Sin City, I think we're too old for Spy, Spy Kids. Kids. I think they're two <laughs> different projects. True. Anyway. Uh, and then the other one is Peyton Reed, who is best known for directing the two Ant-Man movies. So, I don't know. There's some cool big-name Hollywood talent coming on board to direct a couple episodes of this TV show. Yeah, no surprise. I mean, this, uh, when Mandalorian Season 1 came out, it was like, the most expensive. What was it, $15 million per episode? Like, it was... It that showed. Low. Yeah. It, yeah. It, that, it, it definitely took over the interwebs for a while, and I'm sure they want to run with that. And I am sure if you're in that business, you want your name associated with it, because it's going to be it's gonna be out there with that Game of Thrones energy taking over the world. In any case, Mandalorian Season 2, um, I don't think we have a date for when it's going to be available. Obviously, everything is up in the air right now. Um, do we know if any of it's already been filmed? Has that come out? I think the whole second season has been filmed. Oh, good heavens. Okay, so yeah. maybe they will get it out at some point. That'd be great. Uh, I could use that right now. What's her, what's her name? Uh the the actress who played Cara Dune apparently posted a picture on Instagram of their Gina, last day of filming. Gina, Gina Carano. Carano, that's the one. I mean, which is hard to remember, not because it's like hard to remember, because that also sounds like a Star Wars name. Yeah, very Star Warsy. Like you know, Han Solo, Dash Rendar, Gina Carano, like it, it totally fits. <laughs> I gotta change my name, man. <laughs> In any case, hope to see it soon. Uh, so that is the news. I'm not exactly for this week, since this sort of it spans quarantine, but that's some interesting stuff that we've seen and some interesting stuff that's coming up. And if there, any of that sounds like something you may be interested in, that might help you pass the time. Great, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'm sure we'll have another news episode before long, but uh, uh, next week we'll have something brand new, and we hope you like that too. So, in the meantime, uh, we will say goodbye for now. I uh, want to express special thanks uh, to Jamie Reum, the guy behind our theme song. Um, and he is doing stuff, if you want to check him out. Um, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. You can find him on Instagram, at Jamie underscore Reum. And he's still at YouTube.com uh, slash C slash Jamie Reum official. Um, he's doing all kinds of cool stuff. He's got live stream on Wednesdays. Um, I think that one's on Instagram. Um, but uh, he's he's a he's the way we're Star Wars geeks. He's a music geek, and that's something we don't touch on a lot in this show. So it's worth looking into. You can, if you want to scratch that itch, he can probably help you there. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us about any other news we may have missed, or uh, anything else that may be worth discussing, or if you're still yelling at us about that Marvel list, uh, Graham, how can folks get a hold of us? We can be reached at geektop5 at gmail.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5 or on Twitter at geektop5. We're also available on all your podcatchers of choice, and you can reach out to us there if they've got any sort of comment options. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. 
Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week.